Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Career Diaries by Elamed, the podcast dedicated to talking about exceptional careers in the medtech industry. I'm super excited to have with me Martha Lawrence from Ascendo Wave. Martha, you're the CEO and co-founder. I'd love to know a little bit more about you and your company. Maybe could you give us a brief intro? Absolutely. Thank you and wonderful to be here. So Ascendo Wave is a machine learning technology company that um, helps measure and manage pain. Um, and so we are the farthest along in the United States in this particular effort of measuring pain objectively. We've had 70,000 patients use the technology in the hospital. We have the largest real-time database on pain and our partners are Samsung and AT&T. Wow, okay, okay. And where's the, where does the name Ascendo Wave come from then? So it's actually based on the Latin root word Ascendo, which means to illuminate. So the thought behind our name is that we're illuminating your brain waves because what we're doing is we're correlating your brain waves with your perception of pain or discomfort. It's such an interesting space to be in this this um, this area of pain because, I mean, obviously before discovering your your company and and what 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 you're doing, pain is so subjective, right? So it's kind of like what might really hurt for one person might not hurt as much for another. And I don't know if if it's true or if if your data would even show if it's true or not. But you know they say that women generally have a higher pain threshold <laughs> because of all the cosmetic stuff that we do. Right. Um, and we've, we've seen that. We're in labor and delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. we have a lot of data on, on women in pain. And what you see with pain, and I've, you know, I've, initially I sat through probably more than 300 intakes in the hospital, um, in the emergency department where people were talking about their pain. And patients really have a hard time articulating what their level of pain is. Are they a baby if they say they're a seven versus a five? They say they're a 10 and they're having a really nice conversation with you. Um, so having an objective measurement tool where we sort of take someone's brainwaves and compare it to the other 70,000 people who've used the technology is really a helpful data point around how people are feeling. Super interesting, um, especially this space um, in particular, you know, around data and having multiple data points and being able to kind of interpret that en masse. Let's just rewind for a second, because I'm, I'm super curious to know, like, how you even got into, into healthcare in the beginning. Sure. So um, it started in the Silicon Valley. I grew up in the Silicon Valley. Uh, my father worked for a think tank on Sand Hill Road. Um, and I went to uh, undergrad uh, at the University of California, Los Angeles. I was a uh, student athlete, a swimmer, um, and my major was kinesiology. So um, kinesiology, for those who don't uh, know that uh, field, is really the study of movement of the body. So most uh, individuals with that background go on to med school or physical therapy school. Um, those are the typical you know, career paths. And then I went to, um, to business school uh, at the University of Southern California, um, the Marshall School of Business. Uh, so got my MBA from there. And then I um, went into healthcare right out of the gate. So my first job out of uh, undergrad was as a corporate fitness director for two Fortune 500 firms in Los Angeles, Dart Industries and the Teledyne Corporation. Um, and I was there for several years, but realized I'd reached sort of the career 
pinnacle of success in that field in my early 20s, so not a good sign. And then I moved to um, to National Medical Enterprises, which we now know as Tenet Health. They're a large owner of hospitals. They own about 65 hospitals, and I was an analyst. And then I moved on to um, Sandoz, um, who we now know as Novartis. Uh, I was in national accounts, and I worked with health plans. And then um, I went to work for, and I was there a couple of years, and then I went to work for um, New England Critical Care, which became um, part of, um, through acquisitions, became part of Hospital Corporation of America, um, HCA, which is a you know Fortune 67 firm. And I was there for 18 years. And that's really where I spent the lion's share of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I went on and did consulting for VC funds, private equity, hedge around innovation and investment. And then during that time frame, started Ascend a Wave with my partner, Carrie Jardine, and uh, the company's uh, 12 years old. So, I mean, it's fascinating because the kind of num- the, the co- kind of companies that you're talking to me about, you know, Sandoz, Novartis, um, these these are all kind of like big corporate organizations. And it really sounds like you kind of were in that um, big company background, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious in terms of what prompted you to stay? Because obviously having founded my own company, I know exactly what it is. To, and also having kind of, even though it was recruitment, I was working for a really big recruitment business. I know exactly what it is to go, I'm going to start something and literally be in your bedroom starting up your company. So what what was that thought process and what actually made you take the jump to start your own company? So um, I left HCA in 08. And when I left, I realized that the that my favorite part of my job was around innovation. So I had a day job, but I was part of a small group of senior executives who could raise their hand and say, oh my gosh, that's so inefficient. I would love to study that. And you could pick three or four other smart people in the company and then report back in 90 to 120 days on what you thought the company should do. Um, And at that point, we'd farm it out to McKinsey or Bain or KPMG, whoever had the best background. And so I realized that there were very few people in the United States that had studied the business problems at then 165 hospitals. Um, And so I wanted to do something that was more in the innovation field as opposed to what I had done before, just because it was such um, an emerging area and it was an area I was really passionate about. So the bridge to, to do that, to having my own company, which is where you started, um, was really this consulting work with mm-hmm. private equity, hedge and innovation around innovation and investment. They often had smart financial people, but didn't necessarily understand how we made decisions and how the money flowed from contracts. Um, and they often had very long sales cycles for their portfolio companies. So I was able to help them understand the secret sauce and how to do a better job in terms of growing their portfolio companies. And the intent with that was always to, to go back into operations, but but to do something on a, in the innovation side. Um, and I think more of us should do it. <laughs> there are probably fewer than 10 in the United States that have gone from long careers working for hospital companies to becoming you know CEOs, especially of machine learning technology companies. It's very helpful. Yeah, I think there's so much to be kind of, there's so much to be learned when you cross kind of industries and cross job functions because otherwise you you tend to and I see this a lot obviously with with sometimes candidates that we're dealing with right if if you take a career only within one role type from beginning to end 
that's really your world. Whereas um, I've spoken to people who always talk about how enriching it is by adding a, a different role type or trying something new or a slightly different industry, slightly different technology, because you learn something new, but also you bring a certain experience that that industry or that role type might never have seen. What might be common knowledge to you might be something totally new. And so I think that's also where a lot of innovation can come out of it um, because because it's it's bringing new ideas to the table and, and disrupting. It's the whole concept of of disruption, isn't it? Right. And I would ag agree with that. I think that second perspective has been incredibly helpful. First of all, I would tell you when I was in, in the hospital world, there were things that just weren't on my radar screen that now that I'm an entrepreneur and I have a growth stage company, I look at that and go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow, we could we could be doing a lot better in that particular area. And um, and as a company where one of our channels is hospitals, it's you know one of six channels, but one of our channels, our first channel. Um, I understand the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. um, I understand how to deploy in a healthcare system at scale with a with an incredibly light touch. And often, what happens with those kinds of um, provider systems is that there's really interesting technology. It could make a difference, but they often don't understand our workflow. And the, and you, the people just you know they've all been imprinted on the, their hands are on their head, going, "Oh my gosh, they're so high maintenance." Um, and it's really helpful to understand that secret sauce so that um, innovation comes through in a smoother way in a more rapid deployment. Mm. So talk to me about kind of like the, the, the first, I don't know, few months of starting up um, Ascendo Wave. What was it like? It was humbling. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it was uh, exactly what you talked about, where you are, you have go from a larger role to a much more small, you know, much smaller role. You're you're involved in every um, component of the business, and um, you know, you might be going to Federal Express to go get some things. Um, so, as well as working on the strategy of the company, so you've got a really diverse number of things that you're doing, and, it's, and especially, I would tell you, in our particular situation because we bootstrapped the company we did not seek outside funding um and so you um, don't necessarily have a big team that you brought in right away you bring on your team as your revenue um you know accepts more 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 folks on your team so i think it was um it, it was uh eye-opening um and and i think a, a good thing to experience in your career at some point and so you said that you bootstrapped the company, uh, but you didn't get outside investment. What was the reasoning behind that? So um, I, I would tell you that um, with all due respect to, to the VC firms, if you look at the metrics um, from a VC investment standpoint, 3% of their money goes to women CEO founders of companies. So it becomes pretty evident pretty quickly that um, it makes much more sense just to put your head down and grow your company as opposed to pitching for dollars with such a low probability of success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, fortunately, we were able to, to do that. Um, and, and, you know, there aren't a lot of digital health companies that are making money. A hundred percent. And also, I think... Um, if you, I don't know if you know Gary Vee, but he talks a lot about um, these kind of, you know, unicorn startups and they get all this investment from VCs because the market right now is good and VCs are throwing their money into um, kind of technology. But 
when the market has a downturn, which we are looking to be experiencing right now, then it comes to the point of like, how much are you able to actually graft and grow your company on its merits rather than, you know, being able to do a really good sales pitch and pitch an idea. So it's it's actually something quite, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, but the, the thing that struck a cause with me was your point on if you actually look at the metrics, you know, what did you say? Three percent. Three percent it's just not good enough really is it like why yeah. why why is that though like why is that oh i think there are a variety of of reasons i think that um often if you look at the investors um there historically have not been a lot of women in that field who are actually doing the investment so i think that is a part of it i don't think there's necessarily been a focus on women led companies um, I think that's changing. There are some accelerators that are now focused on women-led companies and actually some entities that are looking at growth stage companies and fostering those. I think that's changing, but I think it's just been something historical that's been in place. And there, you know, I don't think there's one reason. I think there are a variety of reasons, but I think it's it's changing, albeit slowly. Mm-mm-mm. I read an interesting article. I can't remember where, but it was talking on this topic around um, around kind of women uh, founders. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you would have read it. I, I should dig it out afterwards and maybe link to it after after this uh, podcast. But it basically was talking about the perception of women founders when they're pitching versus male founders. Mm-hmm. And um, even if they deliver the exact same pitch, um, the the perception is just I don't want to say more negative but 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 you know on on the one hand um, a male might be described as you know um kind of like a go-getter and you know and and then the the, the female might be described as aggressive I don't know right. if you, it's um it's it's a challenge you know what can what can we be do so as women founders for a start mm-hmm. what can we be doing about that so I, I think it's important to help other women who are looking at doing at that career path at sort of moving forward in that area. And I'm actually um, in a group. It's um, by invitation only. It's the top women who are in healthcare in the United States in, in every channel, whether it's provider, healthcare, pharma, you know, investment. Um, and our goal is that we never have to make a cold call in healthcare. And so I think from a networking standpoint, we can help these other women who are looking at growing their business and progressing. Um, because for them, obviously in the early days, it's revenue, right? And to the extent that we can be helpful to them in making those warm connections so that they can grow their companies, that is meaningful. Um, this group also has another stated goal of having more women on corporate boards. And I think that's important too, in terms of having more women in leadership roles that would be obviously in the larger company and, and public company um, space. But I think those are things that we can be doing to help others. Because if we're all honest, we didn't get here on our own by ourselves. Somebody helped us, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's important that we help others. Now you have to be, you know, you can't spend all your time doing that. You have to be careful with um, and disciplined in how you spend your time. But I think for those Um, solution companies, those individuals that really have the promise to be able to be successful, I think it's important for us to help. And that's something that I actually um, pay attention to and have a focus on. I totally support that point, because I think, you know, it's, 
in life everything is the network in the end mm -hmm. right it's all about who you know and um that warm call or that warm recommendation can make such a difference but i think part of it is obviously as women you know let's be a little bit more proactive at, at that networking thing and it is something that i i see very often that women can typically be quite self-deprecating a lot of the time in comparison to men um linkedin released a study that that basically shows um men were much more likely to apply for a job even if they didn't meet i think it was around i don't want to i think it was around 60 percent of the criteria whereas women really felt that they had to hit you know all of the bullet points before um uh, applying to the role because you know they they didn't want to put themselves out there and I think one is, OK, how can we work on ourselves and what can we proactively be doing? But also externally. So, you know, VCs or or, or even companies that, that are hiring women. Right. What what could they be doing differently to improve um, to improve this this ratio? I, I think networking is is key. I think you need to understand where those women are and what they're doing and really make a focused um, sort of disciplined approach. Um, if if you truly want to change that metric, I think that um, those women are out there and I think you just have to look for, through your network, for those individuals so that you can support and fund them. Um, I liked your comment about networking and I would tell you that um, in the, you know, I don't have very many regrets, but a mild regret that I have in my career is that I wasn't a terribly effective networker in the early days of my career. Um, I understood the value. I understood that, you know, 15% is kind of what you know, and 85% is, is who you know. I was a very effective networker internally. Mm -hmm. And HCA had a lot of people that worked for, for the company. So there was a lot of ability to network internally. I was not terribly effective externally. Mm. Um, and so when I look back at that time frame, I could have spent probably 10% less time at the office, and it wouldn't have impacted my success. And if I had deployed that time externally networking that would have helped my career so i remedied it over time um, but maybe helpful for your listeners to understand how important that is and to make sure that you're doing that both internally as well as externally because that becomes very valuable to you as your career develops and grows how do you network externally then Oh, so I do it through a variety of groups that I'm in. Um, so that's, you know, one formalized way. Um, an informal way that I do it is um, when somebody that I know and trust reaches out to me and says, you know, would you visit with this person? They're in transition. And often nobody wants to talk to you when you're in transition. Um, and Or this particular person has an interest in, in, you know, an area that's adjacent to your field. Would you be willing? And I I probably have five hours set aside a month for those sort of synchronicity, serendipity conversations so that I allow that to happen in my schedule. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but it has to sort of come through a trusted source as opposed to it's just random people reaching out to you on, on LinkedIn. Um, not that there's not some value to that, but it, I just have to be more disciplined in the role that I'm, that I'm in. And so I really try to do that. And then I work with both of the you know, universities that I went to. So I teach a class usually at, at UCLA once a year on, you know, innovation and um, the work that we're doing. And I've done something similar at, at SC. So I think it's important to look at that next generation too, and how you can help them with some of the questions and networking that they, um, that they have needs of. I would tell you our schools in general, not, not my schools in particular, but just in general, 
I think they should teach a networking 101 class. <laughs> I, I, I'm not always very impressed with what uh, with what I sort of see across the the table. And you know, if you're gonna if I'm gonna spend time with you. I want to see a marketing plan. I want to see a one-page marketing plan that tells me, you know, what role are you looking at? What's the geography? Um, who, what companies are interesting to you? And then, then I can really help you because you've made my job easy as opposed to you've, you've networked with me and you're hoping that I can be helpful to you. But you, it's, it's so amorphous that I'm thinking through my network wondering, like, who can I introduce you to that would be helpful to you? So I have expectations in that, but I think it's important that um, networking um, is, is done in a really an appropriate way so that we can really help someone as opposed to you have a nice coffee. But at the end of the day, you're not quite sure how you can help that individual. I have to say, you've probably given me an idea <laughs> on a new course uh, that I could I could deliver. No, because I think I think it's absolutely critical. Because um, I mean, you talk about LinkedIn, and and that's somewhere where I spend a lot of my time, and and I spent years nurturing that following. And you know, one tip that I can just give to anyone who's trying to do something even on LinkedIn is when you send a connection request add a personalized note don't just yes. send me a connection request and say I want to connect with you and share your network right like and and it's exactly as you said um most people would be quite willing to support you or help you if you're super clear when you approach them on what you want from it and and how you want them to help you right and and I think at the moment networking you know the the type of networking that I've experienced is is just sometimes a little bit too fluffy um and so i think it's a great tip that you give you know there has to be a purpose of networking with someone and you have to go into it knowing what you want out of it so that you can get what you need and Correct. don't wait for the other person to just kind of be like hey these are all the people i can introduce you to and uh, keep it super open i think that's really really an interesting um an interesting point um so you mentioned um something around um a mild regret uh, so coming coming back to that, I'm I'm interested to understand a little bit more about for you. What would you say have been kind of your what would you say have been your biggest lessons throughout your career so far? So I, I would start with the most recent, and that is I think COVID has just been an incredible lesson in terms of running a, a company, whether it's a small company, a medium company, or a large company, and you know how you have to pivot based on the different channels that you have. I think that that has been um, an area of, um, of great lessons for, for all of us, right? And I think we're still learning those lessons in the, it's still in the midst of a, of a pandemic. Um, I think one of the lessons that has been that I learned, um, and it was actually, you know, I think part of my HCA training because HCA is a very disciplined company, and that is um, to be disciplined, um, especially as an entrepreneur, because there are a variety of directions and ways that you can go, but you can't boil the ocean, and you really have to be very uh, careful about how you you spend your time because there's an opportunity cost to that time and where you. Um, sort of guide your company. And so I think lessons around discipline um, and execution are are important. And um, so that's what I'd share. I think it's really, it, th these are really key points. And obviously kind of having been on, through a similar journey, but obviously completely different um, kind of business, 
those are definitely areas that I personally struggled with I think um, at the beginning you know you kind of have these dreams and you kind of go out and you're like oh I'm gonna do x y and z and then you realize that you only have a certain amount of time in the day and to to avoid burning yourself out and as you said you know you need to be able to prioritize to 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 not try and multitask but just to to focus on kind of one thing and something that I I heard um that really impacted me was the concept of everybody has the same amount of time in the day everybody Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't matter how much money you have right you have the same amount of time in the day as the richest person in the world right and and so the key is really how you spend that time that's really a big part of you know people that are able to build huge companies and and be successful versus basically people that haven't or or maybe that 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 don't it's really around how you prioritize and spend your time um and and so that i think personally that's just been really powerful in in helping in in helping you realize that everybody is human right Mm -hmm. and um everybody has the same challenges um so 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 let's talk about um people in your career and kind of like Mm -hmm. having um, having been helped because it was something that you mentioned earlier on networking is super important but also mm-hmm. it's, it's who you know and it's also that not everybody gets to where they are via someone else mm-hmm. um, so who who has been the most influential person in your career so I have had um, three individuals that have been really very impactful um, sort of in that early you know in that concentric circle um, the first is an attorney that I met at my first company um, who has, um, you know, guided uh, me and provided all kinds of insights uh, over time. And he was really more a mentor. The other two individuals were when I was at HCA, and they were both mentors and sponsors. So mm-hmm. individuals who were incredible leaders, who had very important guidance and insight, uh, but who also supported me in my career when needed internally. Um, they were all... Um, uh, men, um, and there were just not a lot of women ahead to be able to to sort of m- be mentored by a, a woman, uh, an executive woman at that point. Uh, I'm sure if, if there had been more, I would have, you know, a- asked for that type of um, relationship. And what I would tell you about that mentoring and sponsoring, and, and I don't think it's really mentioned much, but I'm a little further in my career now, so I see this, and that is in the early days, those individuals are really helping you with, you know, questions that you have and needs that you have. And you try to be helpful to them, but there's there's only so much you know and you can do at that point, right? So it's it's not really a very balanced relationship. As your career grows and develops, the balance changes over time. So that it may not ever be 50-50, but it becomes more balanced in that you're really able to offer insights as you've grown and developed as a leader to those individuals with things that they might be encountering or struggling with, and they value that input. And so that I think has allowed all of these relationships to stay because it's become very meaningful on both sides, right? If you're both being aided in this relationship, you're more likely to continue that relationship as opposed to it's a short-term mentoring assignment while you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important to mention because it's, it's provided great value to me and it's really something that I've appreciated by having these relationships. 
it's critical to have somebody that you can bounce off of mm-hmm. you know um and um every single person I know that has been successful in their career has told me that they've had a mentor you know it's I, I think it's it's just and um so I don't know if you even know but we launched um our, our very own Elamed Mentoring Academy um which is specifically for that purpose but it, it can buy it's very much on the soft skill sides but it also is combining kind of an element of uh, of uh, theory on certain topics around communication influencing networking entrepreneurial skills all this kind of stuff um because it's just so important um and I have to say, when I was doing some research into it, I looked at what famous mentoring relationships have there been out there? And, mm-hmm. you know, if Oprah Winfrey had one, Steve Jobs had one. I mean, literally, you know, um, every single person, even Mother Teresa, that was the one that surprised <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> That's lovely to hear. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's critical um, that, that in some way or another, you have a mentor that would help you kind of uh, along the way. Um, I think it's really interesting because you said that your first mentor was an attorney. So what did you get from that relationship? So um, I think I found someone who had a very rational brain, who just had a really nice perspective on a variety of aspects of the business. And um, and his particular area was in human resources and labor relations. So he brought that sort of human element to the the conversation. Um, And uh, just as he's been, you know, over the years just offered really great insight when I've reached out and said, you know, I'm struggling, especially with this, you know, this HR situation. What what would you advise? What's best practice in this area? Um, And he's known that uh, that answer right off the top of his head. So, you know, certainly on the HR side, there have been um, there's been great value, but really just more broadly in terms of understanding. And remember, this individual worked for a Fortune 500 company as an attorney. He was not just had his own attorney practice. He he was you know, integrally involved in a very large company. So understood all of the dynamics of of company work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier as well around kind of your mentors all being male. Mm-hmm. And time there weren't really many, many females. Um, is there, is there, is it beneficial for um, a woman to have a female mentor or a male mentor or both? And what would you I would say, say both. Mm-hmm. I would say both. Um, so if I had the ability to redo it and there were women who could have been impactful and helpful, I would have approached them for assistance. I think that based on your career experiences, you have different um, input to offer. And I think that um, whether it's whether you're a female employee or a male employee, I think you benefit by both perspectives. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that would be my choice. I think I think it's helpful to have both uh, individuals guiding careers, both mm. types of individuals guiding careers. Mm-mm. I totally agree. I totally agree because um, there's there's various different um, things that you can learn from from both, right? And and um, just just if you're a female, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to have a female uh, mm-hmm. mentor. You know, there's 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 learnings there, yes, but also there's learnings in in you know how do how do men do certain things and and you know what can I learn from that and apply it with my own style. Um, I want to come back to your company because I just find it fascinating this whole area of of pain um and and how you're how you're making moves so so where are you currently 
and what does the future look like for your for your company? What are your goals? So um, we have a variety of channels. So we started in hospitals um, with the intent to really gather this massive data set um, and um, really actually didn't expand quickly because the data was more important to us. Um, our second channel is biotech and pharma. So we have three confidentiality agreements with global pharma companies who are interested in our ability to objectively measure pain. Um, we've got a confidentiality agreement with a medical device company, a global medical device company, and a confidentiality agreement with a, um, a data company. Um, our newest channel is one that's actually kind of growing as our hospital channel is pausing a little bit, and that's around remote monitoring at home. Mm -hmm. and um, an outpatient, um, as we've seen with COVID, and we try to keep people out of the hospital who might be in, you know, compromised or have, you know, different issues. I think there's going to be a growth area there. So I think you're going to see uh, Ascendo Wave um, really scale in each of those areas um, based on the kind of interest that we're getting in the marketplace around what we're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's something also that that we're seeing kind of um, when when I'm talking to people about kind of what are the trends that you're seeing in medtech or what are kind of the hot areas. Everybody talks to me about e-health mm -hmm. and so personalized medicine and being able to to measure things um, yourself at home without having to to go into into hospitals um, in order to do that. It's almost the patients taking more control over. Mm -hmm. the, is that what it is? Would you say? Yeah, they're taking more control and we're allowing them to have more control. Mm. Uh, so we're giving them, them those tools and we're being willing to work with them as they provide that information back to us. Um, and, and pain is such an important area. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in a hospital room and you look at the whiteboard in the patient's, you know, room, there's a little box that says, what's important to you today? Mm -hmm. And 95% of the answers in that box are pain control and pain management. So it's something that patients care very much about. Um, we feel very vulnerable when we're in pain. And, um, and so we need to be able to address it both within an institutional setting, but in other more cost-effective settings for patients where, um, where that can be helpful to them in terms of their cancer treatment or their you know, chronic pain treatment or, or whatever the case may be. It's very ubiquitous, right? So a lot of us feel pain for a, a variety of different ailments. And at the moment, you're, you're very present in the U.S., you said, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's one of those discipline um, areas as well. Um, we, I think, are at a point where we can can look at international expansion and international interest. Um, and we had some of those early overtures earlier on our on our company journey and in our roadmap, but it just, it wasn't the right timing. So I think you have to be, you know, often it can be the right place to go, but the timing has to be right as well. Um, so I think that we will expand internationally and um, have had some some interest in that arena and would love to be able to to reduce human suffering in a variety of places in the world. It's such a it's such a big purpose, reducing human suffering. Right. It's such a, I bet when you're hiring people, they just totally buy into that in terms of w what it is that you're doing. I mean, I'm bought in. I'm kind of like, hire me, Martha. <laughs> Because I, I think our mission is important to um, certainly to us. We're passionate around it um, in leading the company, and but it's also important to our um, to our employees. We actually hire a lot of pre med college students who hand out our technology in the hospital, and it's um, something that they feel very 
um, aligned with in terms of um, helping patients and why they're going into medicine, but yet digital health. And, you know, as much as we talk about machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, we haven't up until this point had a lot of it at the bedside that's patient facing in their lap. And that's where our technology is. Um, and so it's exciting to be a part of this growth area, um, both um, as leaders within the company, but also for our employees as well. Mm-hmm. And um, let, let's talk about let's talk about you then a little bit more. So, how important is continuous learning to you? Because you seem like somebody who's always wanting to kind of you're always thinking about new ideas. What do you, what do you do actually to to kind of keep yourself on top? and up to date? Sure, so there are two things that I do um, in a very um, systematic way. One is um, there's a newsletter that I get called PitchBook. Um, I think we talked about Crunchbase, but this is PitchBook and it's a free newsletter. You get it every morning um, and it really describes both for healthcare as well as outside of healthcare, all of the deals that just got done, right? So the VC investment, private equity investment, it might be the acquisitions that took place. You can see who the attorneys were involved, who the bankers were involved. And I look at it for trend information. I spend 10 or 15 minutes on it every day. Um, and I like to look at what does the market think is interesting? Who, who just got a boatload of money to expand? Um, are these companies uh, adjacent to me? Are they um, competitive to what I'm doing? Could they be potential partners for the work that we're doing? So it's a very efficient way to get your pulse on what's happening in um, healthcare on a daily basis. The second thing that I do, and this might be a little bit more unusual, um, and I do it through our, our company Twitter account, and that is I follow thought leaders on Twitter. So they may be in pain, they may just be in healthcare, it may be around an area that, of interest, and so they may be have expertise in COVID. And so I'm looking at what are they sharing, what articles do they think are impactful, what um, what are they telling us that we should be aware of and we should pay attention to. And it's just a really efficient way to tap into thought leaders um, for areas that are of interest to me. So those are the the two things uh, that I do from a business standpoint to to keep current in an efficient way, understanding that I have a lot of demands on my time. Mm-hmm. And um, from from a thought leader perspective, because obviously um, social media is everything now, right? And following people, but but. How how do thought leaders help you? I understand how following PitchBook and looking at market trends that would right. help you understand where the market is and where it might be going. But but can you expand a little bit more on that thought leader piece? Why is that important? Right. So um, I I think it's important because they help you identify um, financial areas of opportunity for you uh, as well as um, strategic areas of opportunity for you. So it's those two areas, probably less on the operations side that I look for that, or the, you know, sometimes a little bit on the clinical side. But I think the information that they can share that's relevant to that are pieces of information that I use to be a better leader and to manage my business. Who should I be following? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I follow the NIH in terms of pain. <laughs> so uh, they are... Um, they are certainly um, doing a lot of work on on pain, and I think they're they're important. On in terms of what's happening from a healthcare perspective, kind of related to COVID, I'm following Scott Gottlieb and uh, Andy Andy Slavitt. I think they're providing really meaningful 
dialogue and information in a very concise way. So I'll, uh, I'll highlight those three. I'll, uh, I'll definitely be checking them out after that. Um, okay, so so let's talk about the future for Martha then. So what, what else is on the cards for you apart from global domination with Accenderway? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I think from, from my perspective, one of the things that's um, important to me and that I would like to do is actually to be on a corporate public board. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually in a group uh, that's that um, encompasses women that are already on corporate public boards. And then there's a group of us that are sort of next up, right? We've been vetted. We're ready to, to do that work. And so I think that's something that um, is high on my list and that and that I hope that you'll uh, you'll see from me in the in the future. I think it would be um, strategically very interesting work to do uh, in the next phase of my career. Well, I'll definitely be keep keeping an eye out for any possible announcements there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, so final question, which is the one that I always ask everybody, and is the big picture one: What mm-hmm. is the legacy that you want to leave on the world? So I would answer that question um, and divide it. So personally and professionally. So personally, I think legacy is really around family um, and the legacy that you leave there. And I am, I have, um, my husband and I have two daughters who, um, who I think have, uh, who are thriving and who turned into lo- lovely, kind people. And I, so I think that's part of your legacy. Um, on the professional side, uh, for for me personally, it's really about helping other women in their career and assisting them. I'd like to leave a legacy of um, put it, you know, being forward and making sure that I'm helping those who who have that need in a really judicious way. For Ascend-A-Wave, I think the legacy that I would like to leave is um, that the work that we're doing is really important. Reducing human suffering is really important work. And so I hope our legacy um, is that we become the gold standard for pain measurement and pain management. And I think that would be an important legacy. Martha, I'm so inspired by having this podcast with you. It's been absolutely, you know, eye opening. And I'm really glad that you uh, were a guest on this show. So thank you so much. Thank you. And lovely to be here with you today. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.